0: Welcome to the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Get in on the conversation. Call 1 877 669 1292. And good evening, I'm Howie Silbiger. This is the Howie Silbiger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. It is a pleasure to be here with you. I am happy to be here. The number to call if you want to get in on the conversation, the number to call is one 669 1292 That's 1-877-669-1292. If you want to get in on the conversation here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. It is, um, it is getting fairly dangerous to be Jewish in Montreal. And I don't say this lightly, and I don't say this uh, facetiously, and I don't say this uh, in a way to uh, to be a to be a a a, a scaremongerer as they call them. This is not my uh, my intention, but it is starting to look like it's going to be a rough ride for Jews in Montreal, and and I'm not um, I'm not so happy about this. Let's put it that way earlier this week a young jewish man was standing outside the factory that he works in a, a local meat factory a montreal meat factory when a disgruntled worker a a lebanese butcher came out of the factory he was just fired he came out of the factory and planted a pair of scissors into the young jewish man's face now The young Jewish man pulled away, the scissors came out of his face, he pulled away, he tried to get back into the factory, uh, but the Lebanese guy lunged at him again, but but missed him the second time as he ducked into the factory to save himself. I am sure if he had not reacted the way he had reacted, the man who was stabbed, the Lebanese butcher would have butchered him, would would have taken care of him, would have killed him. Now, the media is depicting this as a as a uh, as a work conflict, but to me, any time a, a Muslim man and we know that the uh, the we know that the Lebanese guy was Muslim, any time a Muslim man attacks a Jew, I look at it more as terrorism rather than rather than a work related problem. Now, I, I know most Muslim you're gonna tell me that most Lebanese are Christians. This one happened to to a Muslim. Now, according to people at the scene, it was the butcher's first day on the job. He was let go after refusing to work. He then grabbed a pair of scissors, ran outside, and attacked the Jewish man, who raced inside the plant. The injuries are not very serious, but uh, the Jewish man was sent to the hospital. And um, and we can confirm now that the the stabbing in the stabbing the Jewish man broke his nose, and. The scissors were plunged just below his eye. He's, uh, thank God, recovering, but it was very close to causing permanent blindness or brain damage. So, so realistically speaking, after those, after those scissors plunged into his face, he could have lost his eye or he could have been killed. Now, we can't just laugh this off. We've seen Jewish establishments firebombed, We've, we've seen, over the years, uh, Jews being attacked indiscriminately on the streets of New York. We saw them being attacked on the streets of Montreal. Uh, just, um, just last April, during the Yom Ha'atzmaut, the Israel Independence Day rally in downtown Montreal, we saw a Jewish man who was carrying an Israeli flag attacked by a group of uh, Arabic young men it's 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 a scary proposition it's it's kind of scary to think that identifiably jewish people could be openly attacked with no regard in the streets of any city i said the same thing when jews were being attacked in the street in the, in the streets of new york in broad daylight but the attacks on jews in montreal in broad daylight happened over the course of many years here in the city and we've never really addressed them Sure, B'nai B'rith has said that you know, there's a rise of anti-Jewish sentiments in Canada over the last, uh, over the last uh, year or so. And the, um, the rise is equivalent to a rise that was in 1986. We haven't seen this level of anti-Jewish attacks since 1986. So that's, uh, what, uh, 30, 37 years ago? It's, it's kind of scary, if you ask me, as a Ju- identifiably Jewish person who works in jewish buildings it is kind of scary when you think that people are indiscriminately attacking jews and nobody seems to care the police uh, have shirked it off they arrested the guy the guy will get charged with assault with a deadly weapon i'm sure he'll probably go to jail for a year or two and then be released or, or won't go to jail at all because that tends to be what happens and nobody's going to uh, nobody's going to to even to even think even even consider that this may have been a terror attack against Jew- a Jewish target in Montreal. Now, why do I say terrorism? Uh, you know, because it was an Arab guy, because he attacked a Jew. No, no, not necessarily. Think about this, and and you know, we have to really analyze the situation. So, people who work at the plant, and I'll tell you, the plant is a is a big meat processing plant. It's the biggest uh, kosher meat processing plant in the city. People who work at the plant have said, they told the media, this is published reports, that this man was hired as a butcher but refused to do any work. When they fired him for not working, because when you work as a butcher, they expect you to, um, to butcher. Uh, when you refuse to cut meat and you refuse to do your job, they have every right to fire you, especially on your first day of work. So when they fired the man after his first day of work, his reaction wasn't, oh, darn it, I got fired. I have to go find another job. How are my kids going to eat tonight? His first reaction was to grab a pair of scissors and attack an identifiably Jewish person. To grab a pair of scissors and plunge it into another human being's face. And then pull the scissors out and then try to plunge them in again into another part of that human being's fo- body not anticipating that after he got a scissors in the face, he was gonna run for his safety, and he did. He managed to escape into the building, and and the guy wasn't able to stab him a second time, although he tried. You can watch the video, it's readily available online on YouTube. One has to wonder, was this a planned terror attack? Did this man have a, a larger plan? If he so quickly decided to attack a Jewish person, and plunge a, a pair of scissors into the face. I mean, it's not easy to, to attack somebody like that. You're looking straight in the face and you, you plunge a pair of scissors right into their face. That, that's not an easy task. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do unless you're a psychopath. So if this man had other plans, and then, then we have to wonder, then we, then we have to ask the question, because this is a very, very important question we we see in the food industry in particular in montreal in the kosher food industry we see that the majority of the people working in kitchens the majority of people working as waiters uh, for various caterers and various takeout places various restaurants in the kosher establishments are generally arabic people now i have no issue whatsoever with arabic people and i think that the majority of arabs are actually are actually peace-loving people who want, who want to live a peaceful life. But there are a segment of people who are Arabs who are not so peace-loving and who uh, want to hurt people, particularly Jews. Now, why Jews? I mean, there may be various reasons. It might be uh, a religious reason. It might be, uh, it might be um, a, a political reason. Who knows? There, there are plenty of reasons why people attack other people. So if the, if, the, if the case is that we don't know who is going to attack at any time, because I'm sure the people in this meat processing plant knew that this guy was a psychopath, they went to hire him. So you don't know. And if you don't know, why do we keep taking the chance? I've been to events that have had heavy security. And I've watched as kitchen staff bypasses security. They go into, uh, they go into work bypassing the security. So nobody checks kitchen staff. So kitchen staff shows up at the synagogue. There could be three security guards standing in front of the synagogue, and they'll walk in with bags filled with knives and filled with whatever, and nobody even takes a second look. Now, what if, as this guy in this meat processing plant, it was obvious he wasn't there to be a butcher, what if there were other people like him? What if this is a small cell of terrorists that have integrated themselves into the food service industry and are now starting to implement their attacks on people in the food service industry it, it, they're easy targets you could go to an event that has three 400 people and if half the wait staff decides that they they're terrorists they want to kill people it's an open it's an open field and by the time you stop them everybody in the room is going to be dead Should we not be taking this a little more seriously and not just be dismissing it as a work-related conflict? Maybe we should be taking this, maybe we should be looking at this a little closer. Maybe we should be looking at the security of our institutions and the security of our food establishments a little closer and start rethinking who we hire and, and who we get to work in these establishments and who we trust to come into our buildings. Maybe this is something that should be going through the leadership's minds in the Jewish community. I don't know, just a thought. I'm, uh, I, I'm perturbed by the fact that the police have just dismissed this as a workplace uh, conflict, when it was obviously wasn't a workplace conflict. The guy wasn't upset that he was fired from a job he wasn't doing. The guy was just there to attack Jews. That's terrorism. I'm Howie Silberger. You can call me if you want. 1-877-669-1292 is the number to call. 1-877-669-1292. That's the number to call to get in on a conversation here on the Howie Silberger Show. Hey, um, okay, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because there's something else that's really bothering me, and uh, I've I got to get this off my chest. Uh, this week, Robert Levy and Charles Barshashat of Radio Shalom have put in an application to the CRTC. Radio Shalom is sixteen fifty a.m. in Montreal. They were the Jewish radio station. The Howie Silver Show was on Radio Shalom for about eighteen years. They put in an application to the CRTC to give the station to the to to a bunch of evangelical Christians at zero dollars and zero cents. This is what they have declared that their sale of the station to evangelical Christians. Uh, it was and they've asked for a transfer of ownership this marks the end of the Jewish radio station in Montreal, although I think it ended 6-7 years ago but it marks the official end of the Jewish radio station in Montreal, a, a noble project that I was fully behind and that I supported for 18 years of my life uh, it, it's, it's a sad day, if you ask me when we, we surrender the Jewish license and, and give it to the Christians it, it's a sad day even sadder is that uh, over the years, over the last five years, five, six years, since Radio Shalom unceremoniously dumped the Howie Silberger show, uh, as a ploy, by the way, it was, a, it was a ploy to try to get the community to donate more money to the station, they canceled our show. We were the most popular show on Radio Shalom. We, uh, we, we had the most amount of listenership and the most amount of uh, feedback once we were gone, of people really upset that we weren't there anymore uh, Radio Shalom got upset with me when I set the record straight in my blog telling that um, that that we weren't paid to do the show. In fact, it cost me money out of my pocket every week to do the show. Uh, not to radio Shalom, but for the staff, they wouldn't even give me a call screen. they wouldn't even give me a volunteer. I had to supply everything myself. so for a while i was uh, I was hosting the show, I was answering the phones. I was doing everything by myself uh, until until the show got too big, and uh, then and then I got some volunteers to come in. I went to get the volunteers; they weren't Radio Shalom volunteers. And then um, and then we brought in Sheldon. He he did the production of the show. He did the uh, the actual uh, producing, the the board working the board for the show. But before that, I was doing it, and for a short 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 period of time, uh, Radio Shalom did supply me with a producer. But all said and done, uh, at the end of the day, they threw us out unceremoniously. We didn't even have a chance to say goodbye to the to the listenership. It wasn't very nice of them. Uh, they threw us out um, simply because they were trying to control the community to uh, to to give us more to give them more money. Uh, we we went on to uh, we went online, and we've been doing the show online ever since. But th- that's what happened. So now, with the end of Radio Shalom, Radio Shalom has applied to the CRTC to transfer the license to uh, evangelical Christians. Um, with the end of the, of, of Radio Shalom, uh, it saddens me that over the last six years we've made True Talk Radio, myself, uh, other people, Jewish people have made offers to Radio Shalom in the hundreds of thousands of dollars to purchase the station. Even though the, the equipment and the station itself wasn't worth the money, we wanted to save Jewish Radio in Montreal. And we worked really hard to try to uh, raise the money and to, uh, to put everything together to purchase the station. Uh, at one point, even Federation was interested in purchasing the station. Each time that we approached Radio Shalom or Federation approached Radio Shalom, we were turned down. Uh, they, they, they didn't want to sell to us. The um, uh, Federation approached them to purchase. They turned them down too. Anybody who approached from the Jewish community was turned down. After discussing the issue with uh, Radio Shalom and with Robert Levy, the president of Radio Shalom, uh, his attitude was, if the Jewish community didn't support him, then the heck with the Jewish community, they don't deserve a radio station. So he wasn't going to sell to another Jew. Uh, an ego trip that uh, unfortunately robbed the Jewish community of Jewish radio. It, it, it's very sad. It's, it's, it's extremely sad that one man's ego Robbed an entire community of a service that that could have been great for the community, that was great and could have been even better for the community. Uh, I, I'm saddened. I'm saddened by this whole by this whole turn of events. Um, many people have asked me. Uh, I, I hinted at it a little bit uh, uh, a, a couple of days ago. I hinted at, that I um, that we would um, we would start the application for a Jewish radio station uh, immediately. Uh, I've decided. Uh, well, I don't. Uh, I I don't know if it's worth the money to to go and start the whole process over again. If we were able to take over the station, which was already built and already ready to go, then perhaps, maybe, we could have succeeded as a Jewish radio station, but uh, it takes a lot of money. So unless a big money person, I don't have that kind of money, unless a big money person steps forward and says, I I believe in this cause, and let's go for it, um, I I don't think that it's realistic that a Jewish radio station will crop up in Montreal any time in the near future. And it's very unfortunate that we lost this uh, this um, this service. Uh, Robert Levy will argue that the reason Radio Shalom doesn't exist anymore, the reason that they're giving it to the Christians instead of selling it to the Jews, is because he didn't get the support of the Jewish community. Now I said it before, and I'll say it again: that is solely on his shoulders, and and his council, who who I was never part of. Um, who decided that, uh, that they wanted to go after a limited market and that was all they cared about. They didn't care about the market that had money. They didn't care about catering to people who cared about, uh, about, about radio and cared about the Jewish community. Um, they, they, they were just there to, uh, to to gouge the people that they didn't like and to, um, and to reward the people that they did like with, with a little bit of publicity. It's unfortunate that uh, that the station didn't work out I know that if I would take over the station, I know that if they gave the station to me, which they really should have or, or at least sold it to me, or even at one point we offered to lease it to even lease it to us, uh, this, we could have made the station successful. But I know that um, that if we would have done that, Robert Levy would have had a would have had a big hit to his ego. He would have uh, he would have been really upset about that, uh, that somebody else managed to get the Jewish community behind him and he couldn't. So that's why it's going to the Christians. So, it, you know, I'm a radio guy, and every time I, I'm a radio guy, I spent 18 years of my life uh, working and, and, and trying to build Radio Shalom, 18 years of my life hosting the most famous show, the most popular show on the radio station, 18 years of my life uh, building the brand. Uh, it just hurts that, that it's being given away. It's not even being sold. It's being given away to the, to the, to the Catholics When it wouldn't be sold to us. Shameful, really shameful. This station could still be in the Jewish community. This station should still be in the Jewish community, and 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 it's 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 a crazy system. The uh, the 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 CRTC CRTC licensing system is it's a crazy system. It's 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 insane, Um, where one person could hold a license hostage for an entire community, while he held a license for the Jewish community. Nobody else could apply for one. Because the CRTC won't give a license won't give two licenses to the same community for a community station. If one community station isn't serving the community, then (laughs) then then you know, buy the station, do something to the station. But a stubborn old man stood in the way. It's very unfortunate. I'm Howie 669 One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. That's one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. If somebody with a lot of money came along and said they wanted to open a radio station, I'd be more than happy to work with them and then try to get the uh, to try to get a Jewish station back on track and try to get a Jewish station back on the air. That would be uh, really good for the Montreal Jewish community. We were the only 24-hour, uh, six-day-a-week Jewish radio station in North America, and uh, it would have been it would have been really nice to to have taken that over. And to make a success out of it unfortunately that wasn't god's plan that wasn't the plan of uh of anybody at radio shalom and now as their operations fold down i bid them all the best I, I i don't have any hard feelings towards them i'm just very disappointed that uh, stubbornness and ego got in the way of of making a community station actually a community station such a shame such a waste of potential such a waste of money such a waste of resources and, and now it's gone uh, it, it, it's just upsetting one is the number to call it's not like the Jewish community has a lot to go for I mean we have, um, we, 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 don't have we don't have very much I mean, there's no TV show there's no, there's no real media so, so this, this was something that we had and now we're losing it it's really really sad as you can see, I'm I'm, I'm actually upset about it. I, I know I like to pretend I'm not, but I'm actually upset about it. I spent a lot of time there, and I like the station. I, I really, really, really like the place. We offered them um, uh, just about a year ago, two years ago, we offered them uh, almost $200,000 for the place, and they turned us down. Uh, we, we made offers for over hundreds of thousands, for $100,000, $150,000, they turned us down and continuously turning us down and uh, we after a couple of offers and a couple of people going in and offering a couple of other people going in and offering a couple of people not even associated with us offering to take over the station we realized it was nothing to do with the money and that's where it got really sad when we've realized finally realized that it was it it wasn't about the money <laughs> it was it was about the ego and unfortunately that's radio radio has is all ego Um He's not the only one to have an ego on radio. Uh, I'm one of the few that that really don't, you know, play out the ego game on on radio. I I like having people on the show with me. I like giving airtime. I like helping and training people. I spent my whole life having young people on the Howie Silberger show, uh, training them and working with them. So I, I'm not I'm not I'm not the kind of guy who's about ego. I'm the kind of guy who's about uh, about working for the community and if we're doing something for the community it's for the community it's not for me it's not for you it's for the community i do this show i i i try to get on every night as i told you before i have um i'm still having these these crazy side effects from uh, from from this this drug that i was put on it was a mistake and uh and i'm still suffering from that uh, so i'm on and off and on and off i'll eventually get back to a full schedule so i apologize for not being on every night but <laughs> Things happen, so here we are. the The Jewish community is the Jewish community imploding. That, that's that's the next question I have to ask. Montreal Jewish community, are we imploding? Uh, are we falling apart? Uh, a Jewish man stabbed in the face, and then, uh, uh, then 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 the radio station falling apart. It's a really bad week, and I, I wonder about our Jewish institutions, our Jewish organizations. I I wonder how 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 safe are we federation keeps saying and um and, and the security committee of montreal which is run through federation keeps saying oh we're very secure we're very good and we started to build fortresses um around our institutions security guards in the front bollards so nobody could drive their car through it um uh closed parking lots we 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 have uh we have we we have uh special film on the windows so that can't the windows can't be shattered we have all this stuff happening all this money being spent to build fortresses out of our institutions uh, bag checks at the y i i could go on and on and on about the security measures that are being taken in the community and one has to wonder what is the threat they never tell you what the threat is. They just tell you that we're upping security, we're upping security. And then they tell you, don't get excited. Don't worry. There's no threat, but we're, we're going to put some more security guards in your buildings and, uh, and security cameras, and we're going to put more lighting up and, and maybe some patrols. We'll, we'll patrol. But don't worry, there's no threat. Well, if there's no threat, then why are we spending so much money, tens of uh, millions of dollars, increasing security and, uh, and, 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 and watching all our buildings? Why are we doing this if there is no threat? So what is the threat? Where is the threat, and who are threatening us that we have to do this? Now we know that in uh, you know we've we've had synagogue shootings in the states. There hasn't really been much in Canada. We've had a couple of events where uh, where people have been stabbed in the face, like the event that happened this week. But we we haven't really seen mass mass. Thank God we haven't seen mass um, terror attacks against the Jewish community in Montreal, thank God is it because of our extra security or is it just because uh, Montreal's not a target? I don't know I can't answer that question, I have no idea uh, I can't imagine that, uh, that, that a security guard an unarmed security guard standing in front of a synagogue is really a deterrent for a terrorist who wants to come in and shoot people because the first person who will shoot is the unarmed security guard standing in front of the building so what is the purpose of the security guard standing there? So to check bags, all right, fine, I can, I can see that, okay, so there's an unarmed security guard standing in front of the, of the, of the building, checking bags. What happens if he finds something in a bag? What if there's a bomb in a bag? What's that unarmed security guard going to do? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> the unarmed security guard is going to do nothing. He's going to blow up the same way everyone else is in the building. So what is the point of having an unarmed security guard there? So so there could be two things at play here. And it all depends if you are a cynical person, if you're a realistic person, or if you're an optimist. This, 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 is, this is how it uh, it breaks down. So an optimist will say that the security guards are there, just in case something happens. They could call the police. They could uh, they could intervene. They are they are slightly trained in in intervention and crowd control. They could get people out of a building quickly. They could evacuate the building. They could uh, they could ensure that um, that uh, that people coming into the building aren't carrying knives and uh, and guns. Um, well, I don't know how they could ensure that, but they could check the bags and make sure that that there's no counterfeit, nothing coming into the building that uh, shouldn't be in the building. So that's what an optimist will say. And it gives the impression that we are safe. So when people walk into the building, they see a security guard standing there, they feel. They feel, and feelings mean everything today. You know, facts don't matter anymore. It's all, it's all about feelings. So they feel that they are safe. They feel that um, it's an illusion. It's a safety illusion. And when you bring in more than one security guard in... Um, uh, for the high holidays, so you have a sniper on the roof. Ooh, we have a sniper on the roof. Uh, the, the the congregation feels like they're being protected. Now, these measures, of course, won't stop an attack, but at least the illusion of stopping an attack is there. The pessimist will say, uh, or, or the realist will say, the idea of a security guard standing in front of a building, and this, this is really where my mind goes all the time, the idea of a security guard standing in front of a building, the idea that, uh, that that they're checking your bags, the idea that you have to walk through a metal detector in some places the idea that uh, that that they're constantly warning you or constantly upgrading the security in buildings and putting bulliards in the front and uh, and cameras and lights and and all the security equipment is a fear-mongering tactic in order to generate... A mass control of the population this is this is what the realist or the skeptic will say that, that, that this is there to generate a mass control of the population that the idea is that if we are scared enough we will do everything our community tells us to do uh, in order to stay safe the only issue I have with 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 both of these uh, things are Personal experience. It always goes back to personal experience. So, if we were living in a in a city where the leadership of the city, the Jewish lay leadership of the city, uh, decided that that we have to be safe, and so they were going to uh, illustrate uh, the safetyness and how much they're saving us and how much they're protecting us by putting in the security guards and everything else, I would buy it if I didn't have a personal, if I didn't have some personal experience in this. So years ago, I ran an organization called Save All Jews Everywhere. It was the early 1990s. I was a young guy, and I ran this uh, organization called Save All Jews Everywhere. I founded it, and I ran it. I co-founded it. But uh, anyway, we, we were running the organization here in Montreal. And one day, I, uh, I found out through a source that a synagogue, a local synagogue, was desecrated with swastikas. The front doors of the synagogue were, uh, were spray-painted with swastikas. And I turned on the news. It was 8 o'clock in the morning. I turned on the news at 8 o'clock in the morning. The radio news, and radio was always the first ones to carry the story, nothing, radio silence, not even a mention that there was a swastika daubed on that synagogue. And I thought, isn't that weird? Here's a, a major attack on a Jewish community. And not even a mention on the news. Why? Why Why wasn't it mentioned? So I called the newsroom, and I spoke to a reporter in the newsroom, and I said, hey, my name's Howie Silberger. I'm calling from Save All Jews Everywhere, and uh, I'm just calling to um, to make a comment about the swastikas on the synagogue. The reporter said, "What swastikas? We didn't hear about swastikas. And I said, yeah, swastikas on the synagogue. And I gave him the address of the synagogue. This is where the synagogue is. There are swastikas on the door. The reporter said, hold on a second, put me on hold. I guess they must have called the police to check. Next, they came back on and said, oh, there were swastikas on the door of that synagogue. Funny, we didn't know about it. All right, what's your comment? I'm going to record you. And they recorded my comment, and I led off the news every hour for the rest of the day with uh, multiple comments that I made about the swastikas on the doors. Essentially, my comments were that neighbors, you know, people living around Jewish institutions should keep their eyes open. If they see anything going on around their institutions, they should call the police immediately. There should be a neighborhood watch watching the institutions, watching them, and you know people live around all these institutions. Keep your eyes open for anything happening day or night. If you see anything, call the cops immediately. And that the uh, that that save all Jews everywhere on behalf of our membership. Strongly condemn the baseless uh, the, the, the the horrific. Uh, vandalism of a synagogue. I let off the news uh, every hour for the rest of the day. Around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so that was 8 o'clock in the morning, around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I got a call from a very vocal public rabbi in Montreal who said to me, How dare you call the news? I looked at him, I said, excuse me? Uh, Well, I looked at him, I answered him, excuse me? He said, how dare you, the you, who gave you the right to speak on behalf of the community? And uh, this guy was very involved in federation, and I said to him, and I answered him with the same question. I said, who gave you the right to speak on behalf of the community? And he said to me, well, I'm part of federation. And I said, yeah, I don't remember voting for federation to be my spokesperson. So who gave you the right to speak on behalf of me? And he said, well, the federation speaks on behalf of all Jews. So said, the federation doesn't speak on behalf of me. So I called the news to comment about the swastika on behalf of the organization that I ran. Not on behalf of the federation, not on behalf of the neighbors, not on behalf of anyone, on behalf of the organization I ran. You did not like it too darn bad. Rabbi hoffy, he was huffing and puffing, as he, as he tends to do. And he says to me, and he says to me, you know why we don't report these things to the media? I said, why? He said, Because we don't want copycats. And the second you report it and it makes the papers and it makes the TV sets, then suddenly four other synagogues are going to be desecrated because copycats will go out and do it. What a dumb reason not to report it to the media. What a dumb reason not to tell the community that an institution next to you, an institution near your house, was desecrated. What a dumb reason. It, it, it didn't even cross my mind that this could possibly potentially be a reason for smart people. It, it I still think it's dumb. and it's, it's 30 years later. I still think it's dumb. And I think it's dumb for many reasons. And I'll tell you, I think the main reason I think it's dumb is that you know, there are hundreds of people who live around these institutions who all have houses that face the institution or are backing the institution. If you have people who live around the institution, use their eyes. Have them look out. Look out your windows. Watch the institutions. I mean, you don't have to sit there vigilant uh, day watch. But occasionally, take a look outside. If you see anything going on, call the police. In my opinion, a hundred eyes are better than two. A hundred eyes on the street... Are better than a camera in the front of the building. A hundred eyes on the street will see more than a security camera will ever see. He disagreed with me. Naturally, he disagreed with me. Because people who are involved in Federation, people who are involved in the Security Council, people who are self important like that, are never wrong. And he condemned me publicly. Alright, he wasn't the first one to condemn me publicly. It doesn't really bother me when people condemn me publicly because I'm going to do what I do anyway and I I really don't care about the condemnations. You can condemn me from today till doomsday. It doesn't change anything for me. I'm going to express my opinion and I'm going to tell it the way it is. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm never going to get out of here and lie to you. I'm never going to get in here and sugarcoat something. I'm always going to tell you the truth. and I'm always going to tell you how I feel about something so if you don't like it, you don't have to watch the show. You don't have to listen to the show. You don't have to be part of the show. You don't have to call in. But if you don't like it, you can call in. That's why I have open lines. And uh, people always ask me, why do you pay for an 800 number? You hardly ever get calls on the show. And my answer is always the same. Anytime anyone asks me that question, my answer is always the same. I pay for 800 numbers so that anybody in North America who disagrees with something I, could, I say could always call in and always argue with me. They could always talk to me. Uh, I, I, I have no problem defending anything I say on the show. I have no problem providing proof on anything I say on the show. So, if people want to call in, the lines are open. If I didn't have lines open, and I was doing a show like this, then the critic will come to me and say to me, hey, wow, what is this, a monologue? You, you don't like dissension, so nobody could call in? So, either way you go, you can't win, so I might as well pay for the line, have the line available. If you choose to use it, that's great. If you choose not to use it, that's your prerogative too. But if you choose not to use it, and then you come attack me in on other media or through through another channel, I will always I will always say, hey, the lines are open. You you don't like something, you could always call in. You could always argue with me. The lines are always open. So let me give you the number again. one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two 669 1292 is the number to call. One eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. 669 1292 we broadcast on about six different platforms and uh there there are, there are always uh, hundreds of people watching. So out of the hundreds of people watching if you choose not to call in that's your prerogative. Uh, I'm I'm not the one who's I'm not the one who's going to uh to force you and I'm not the one who's going to stop you. So lines are there. All right. So um now we we now Federation has made a policy, by the way, that they don't notify the community about, um, about desecrations, about uh, attacks on the Jewish community. Only the big attacks are, uh, are, are, are reported. The smaller attacks are never reported because they don't want to scare the community. They don't want to cause mass panic. That's the, uh, that's the reason. And when I had a meeting with, uh, with, with members of Federation, people who make these kinds of decisions, I asked them. I said to them, you don't want to cause mass panic. Is that why you don't tell people? And they said, Yeah, that's exactly the reason. If we told people what's really happening in Montreal, we we'll, we're we're gonna cause mass panic. So I said to them, What are we a bunch of toddlers? I, I, I don't understand. If I'm living in a city where Jews are being attacked, if I'm living in a city where 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 institutions are being desecrated, if I'm living in a city where where, where cemeteries are being destroyed or, or not or or gravestones are being knocked over, I wanna I lo- I wanna know about it. I, I want to hear about it. I, I think it's infinitely important for me to know and for me to do something about it. So what am I going to do? As a layperson, what can I possibly do? So am I going to donate more money to Pnei Brith? For what? They don't do anything. What am I going to donate money for? So Marvin Rotran can have a job? Good. I'm glad they hired Marvin Rotran. So uh, I'm not going to donate money to Pnei Brith. Am I going to don- donate, donate money to Federation? What are they going to do with the money? Put up more cameras, hire more security guards, build more useless infrastructure that's, that's not going to save anybody if, if anything happens? What are they going to do about it? So, so what do you do as, a, as an individual? What do you do? I, I mean, the appropriate thing to do would be to band together, get on the streets, and lobby the government, protest, uh, and, and demand that the government you know, be a little more selective in their immigration policy, be a little more, a little less racist as a government. Uh, you know, demand that the uh, the Quebec government stop stoking the flames of racism uh, through legislation that's 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 terrible uh, towards towards minorities and religious people. Maybe, maybe that's something that should be done. You know, it, it's it, you know Bill 21 and Bill 96. Uh, I speak to hundreds of people a week, and and I listen to what they have to say, and and I'm one of the few people actually listen to what people tell me. A lot of people hear what people tell them, but they don't listen. There's a difference between hearing and listening. I actually listen to what people say. And, and the majority of people tell me that they're upset about this, and they're upset about this. And My question is always the same to everyone, everyone in the Jewish community everyone in the community who tells me I'm upset about this. I always say, where, where, why are you not in the streets? You're upset about it. Why aren't you in the streets? Summertime is a perfect time to go out and protest. Okay, in the winter, maybe it's too cold and you don't want to go out in the cold. In the summertime, it's beautiful. Go out in the summertime and protest. Why aren't you there? The students had a problem with tuition raises that the government wanted to do. The students got into the streets every single night of the week. They were in the streets banging pots and pans, and the government eventually backed down. The 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 uh, truckers had an issue with uh, with um, with COVID regulations and uh, and vaccine regulations. They took their trucks to Ottawa. Okay, fine. So the government became kind of a dictatorship and cracked down like dictators crack down on, uh, on 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 militants and and destroy these people's lives? Okay. Mostly Canadian governments don't do that. This government happens to be a fascist government. That's what happened. Fine. Okay. I understand that. But they got action. They, they also removed some COVID restrictions. So, so the question is, if you don't like something, if the community doesn't like something, why are they not in the streets protesting? And the answer is quite simple. Because the so-called leadership, the so-called organizations that lead the Jewish community, the federations and the B'nai B'rith, don't want them in the streets protesting. They don't want Jews out there protesting and standing up against the government. Why? Why wouldn't they want that? Well, quite simply, if the Jewish community decided to band together and a grassroots community decided to go out and protest, it would deem B'nai B'rith and the uh, and, and federation irrelevant, politically irrelevant. They're lobbying of the government, and they're proudly lobbying the government, proudly going and declaring that the Jewish community wants this and the Jewish community wants that, would be pointless if the community is yelling something totally different. The pandering to the Quebec government, the pandering to the Canadian government that these organizations do, uh, might might work to a certain extent, in easing some of the uh, some of the hardships that the Jewish community has uh, in in the country, but is it really changing anything for the people on the streets? Is it really changing anything for the for the Jews who are affected by Bills twenty one and ninety six? Not so sure. I'm not so sure. So Jews who don't like that those bills, Jews who don't like things that the Quebec government are doing should be on the streets protesting every single night of the week. There should be banging pots and banging pans and yelling and screaming. And the media should be covering you every single night of the week. There's 80,000 Jews, 90,000 Jews living in Montreal. 30, 40,000 that could be in the streets immediately. And why, why aren't they? Because they are encouraged not to be by the organizations that get paid to cry on behalf of the Jewish community. Without... Anti-Jewism, without attacks on the Jewish community, without synagogue desecrations, nobody would be donating money to these organizations. If the Jews get up and try to stop it, if the Jews get up and try to protest it, and the Jews get up and are upset about it, these organizations would cease to exist. And the self-important people involved in these organizations would disappear. They wouldn't be so important anymore. And that's why you don't see mass protests when things happen to the Jewish community. It's not good for the business. Now, I know that's a cynical way to look at things, and I know people who are involved in these organizations, some of them, some of them work with their full heart and they, 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 they mean well, and, and I have no doubt that they do. And some of them do excellent jobs and they work really, really hard, and I have no doubt that, that they mean well. But at the end of the day, it comes down to dollars and cents, it comes down to donations comes down to political dominance over the community and mass control of the population. If you could achieve that, well, then you're the greatest organization ever to live, right? one What do you think? Do you think I'm being too cynical? A lot of times people think I'm being too cynical. People, people say to me, Howie, I heard your show. I mean, you've gone a little off the deep end. You're, you're a little too cynical. And I, I think about it. And, you know, when people tell me things, I actually take it to heart and I think about it. And I, and I, I think maybe I pushed it too far. Maybe I pushed the envelope a little too far. And then, and then I listen back to the show. I always listen back to the show. I always like to hear what the show sounds like. I always like to hear the arguments I made as a listener rather than as the host. And, and most of the time, I find that I didn't send it, I didn't go too far. In fact, sometimes I feel I didn't go far enough. Sometimes I feel that I, I didn't say as much as I wanted to say. I held myself back. And I do that occasionally. I hold myself back because um, if I don't hold myself back, uh, sometimes the repercussions are great. Uh, a few years ago, I, I was working at a, a coffee shop in a, in a, in a Jewish institution. well, I, Jewish. I'll put Jewish in quotation marks. In a Jewish institution here in Montreal. And uh, the the coffee shop was under the certification of uh, a kosher food certifier, and uh, they lost their certification. Well, not really lost it; they kind of gave it up um, because there was a little squabble about um, how much lettuce could be washed in a day. I mean, it was it was it, it was a petty squabble over lettuce, um, which which was relatively irrelevant in the overall schemes of running the uh, of running the coffee shop, but. Anyway, they had a squabble about lettuce, and the hospital decided that uh, they were going to give up the the the, the, the 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 certification. They were going to wash as much lettuce as they wanted to wash. That was it. So I got on this show right here. I sat in this chair right here in the same studio that I'm sitting in right now, and I said that by losing their, their, their certification, the hospital, which is the only kosher hospital in North America, really uh, everything in the hospital is kosher, the only kosher hospital in North America, has just joined the Hellenists that have been destroying the Jewish community for years and years and years. This was a statement I made. And I, they didn't like that. Nobody likes being called a Hellenist, I guess. And they fired me. And that's fine. I, I didn't mind losing the job. Uh, I, I, I made the point. They eventually got their, their certification back. But the point I was making was that, that the Hellenists have taken over the ship. Jewish values in, in our organizations have disappeared in Montreal. It doesn't ex, they don't exist anymore. Uh, organizations are open on Saturdays. They have non-kosher events. The, the, the idea that, um, that Jewish tradition existed at one point um, has totally disappeared. The last vestige of, of old, Jewish, old Jewish Montreal would be the Jewish General Hospital, which is still a, a kosher certified hospital. But it's one of the last ones. The why was a holdout. It was the only why that the Jewish why was the only why in Montreal was the only why that wasn't open on Saturdays. And a few years ago, they decided to change that. And we did protest that and Jews did get out and actually protest that. But they decided to change it anyway. So we, we, have, we, have, we are living in a city where the Jewish community is imploding. But it's imploding internally, so while we see it imploding as Jews who are, who, are, who are living in the community, while we see the implosion of the Jewish community, the outside world doesn't see it. All they see is Jews. And so an Arab could get a job at a Jewish meat factory get disgruntled, well, not even disgruntled, get a job at a Jewish meat factory. I'm using the word disgruntled because that's what the article says, but he wasn't really disgruntled because he got a job there knowing he wasn't going to go work. He showed up to work and didn't do any work. So they fired him, which was his excuse to attack a Jewish guy with scissors and stab him in the face. We live in a city where, where one man could own a, uh, a, a Jewish radio station and hold it hostage for six years. And then give it away to Christians with not a peep from the Jewish community Uh, six years he held it hostage saying I want to sell it but anytime anybody came over to buy it they refused to sell so basically held it for six years and then gave it away we're imploding Uh, is there a way to stop the implosion once the charges are set, is there a way to turn it around? Is there a way to, to, to take the community uh, back and to, to, to try to rebuild the community? The split between the orthodox community and the secular community is growing. It's becoming a chasm. And as long as that keeps growing, uh, eventually water will be in between. It'll be a moat. And then the drawbridge will never be big enough to, to bridge the moat. The time is now. So if you care about your Jewish community, if you care about it, then you have to start taking action. You have to start working to ensure that the Jewish organizations respect basic Jewish tradition. I'm not saying everyone should be Orthodox. I mean, that, that would be asking way too much, right? I mean, Judaism Judaism is Judaism, I guess. So asking everyone to be Orthodox is, is way too much, but at least respect traditional Jewish values? I love telling the story about um, about uh, Alvin Siegel. My, that's my favorite story. I've told it on the show a hundred times already, but I'll tell it again because it's really a great story. Years ago, um, the, the Bialik High School decided that they were going to cut back on the already dismal Jewish education they were giving their children. And so they decided to cut back on that. And, um, and, and they hired a bunch of guys, they hired two guys to come in and Rewrite their Jewish program, which pretty much eliminated Judaism. Uh, we uh, we we decided to um, to to counter that, and we we attacked. Well, we didn't attack, but we we protested on the air, and we uh, we riled we riled up the um, riled up the masses, the parent body, by telling them what was really going on at the school. They weren't happy, and um, and and eventually. Uh, what little semblance of Judaism exists at the school was reestablished, and then most of the culprits of the people trying to uh, trying to change it were thrown out, including including many board members and the president and, and a bunch of other people. One of those people was Alvin Siegel. He's the big benefactor in Montreal. He his name adorns many buildings, many institutions, including the Sadie Bronfman Center, adorn his name. Uh, Sadie Bronfman apparently uh, was was dead enough that they could rip her name off a building and put somebody else's name on there so Alvin Siegel uh, created the Siegel Center now the Sadie Brofman Center never had anything happen on Saturdays Friday nights and Saturdays were off-limits it was a Jewish it was a Jewish theater Siegel Center on the other hand is not such a Jewish theater and they don't care about Judaism and so they have um, they have plays that start um, that start the second that Shabbat ends which, which means they're not theoretically violating Shabbos, but everybody has to be there on Shabbos. Anyway, I'm in a restaurant one day after this whole Bialik thing is done, and an old man walks up to me and says, to me, are you Howie Silberger? And I said, yes, I'm Howie Silberger. And he says I, uh, you know, and he, said, he says to me, you, you're an enemy to the Jewish people. I looked at him, and I said to him, who are you? I, I didn't have no clue who he was. And he says to me, I'm Alvin Siegel. And I made him repeat his name a couple of times. He was mumbling. I, I didn't understand him. And, and, and he says to me, you know, people like you are dinosaurs, people who, who believe in Jewish tradition, people who want to push Judaism. You're dinosaurs. And, and really, you should stay out of politics. You're, you're an enemy to the people of Montreal. You're an enemy to the Jewish people. You are bringing us back to the Stone Age. And I looked at him and I said to him, I'm an enemy to the Jewish people? You're the one that took a Jewish theater that respected Jewish tradition and threw the Jewish tradition out the window. And I'm the enemy to the Jewish people? As long as we value money over leadership, as long as we value money over morals, as long as we value money over tradition, this community will continue imploding. And I know we're not the only community that does this, and I know that Jewish leadership depends on how much you have in your pocket. I get it. But if we continue looking at the traditional Jewish community and the implosion that's happening within that Jewish community, and we don't recognize that the problem is our leadership, the problem is the way we choose our leaders, the problem is the way we groom our leaders, the problem is the way way, uh, we train our leaders then this problem is never going to solve and there will be a huge split. There already is. It will just get bigger and bigger. And eventually the secular Jewish community whose intermarriage rate is growing and growing and growing because we don't believe in Jewish tradition anymore. Eventually the, inter- the intermarriage rate will make the community disappear. And the only thing that will be left will be the traditional Jews, the dinosaurs, the enemies to the Jewish people. I'm Howie Silberger. It's the Howie Silberger Show. There will be no Political Hitman this week. We'll be back next week with Political Hitman right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Thank you so much for joining me. If you want to reach me anytime, you could uh, you could send me a message on Facebook. You could uh, join the Howie Silberger Facebook groups. You could uh, you could email me, howie at truetalkradio.com. Uh, you could download the True Talk Radio Network app from the App Store. Any of the App Stores, they, it's there. And of course, the Howie Silberger Show is always a podcast, so it's podcasted on all podcasting networks. So... Just search up the Howie Silver Show. You'll find us. We're also on Spotify and Apple Music and um, and Amazon Music. We're we're everywhere. Until next week. Oh, until next week. Maybe we'll be back tomorrow. We'll see. Uh, until next show. I bid you a, a good night, and I'll see you next time.